What I feel to do today is, um, I don't know what I'd describe. Let me just tell you what I feel to do. Rather than specifically teach from a passage or a series of passages of Scripture, I'm feeling this kind of prophetic little allegory brewing around what's been happening with our physical house and what's happening in this house as a whole. Um, If you don't know, we very skillfully flooded our house back in February. Um, We didn't really do it. The water filter blew up under the sink in the middle of the night and the tap just stayed running for several hours while we slept and we came out to rivers of living water flowing (laughs) through the place. And when you have hardwood floors, it's not particularly helpful. Um, And as a result, right now we're in the process of um, a whole lot of things happening. How do, how do I say it all, really? It, it's a little complex, but um, the work that has been done thus far is pretty subpar, and there's a fair chance they might have to start over, which is just, just so exciting. Um, we're really, really pumped about that. So the process involves them taking out our entire kitchen, all the cupboards, taking up all the floor, putting the floor down, putting the kitchen back in, and then sealing it all, and then painting, and, and the kitchen's already been out once. The floor's already been out. They put the floor back in, they put the kitchen back in, but they did a few things when they did the floor that weren't right, and as a result, the whole thing looks a, not too much different to when it was damaged. Um, it's just, it's got issues. It's got, it needs healing, let's say. And um, obviously, we're really excited about this. Um, and so, yeah, there were, and there's some bits that we're still contesting with the insurance company as to whether that damage was caused by the event or not, and um, we're quite certain, obviously, that it is, because it wasn't like that before. They don't particularly want to pay for it, which I understand. If you're an insurance company, you don't really want to pay for anything, even though that's what you're in business for. That's another story. And um, all through this period... But it's been intensifying over the last few weeks. The question in my head is, if this was a dream, what would it mean? In other words, okay, many of you have been through training on dream interpretation um, over the last, however long have we been doing that, a year and a bit? Um, Especially in our connection with Phil and Maria Mason and New Earth Tribe and the Mind Body Spirit Festival, all of that stuff. We've been doing training in dream interpretation and what we know from that is there are certain symbols that happen in dreams that God uses to prophetically speak to us of literal things. Every now and then, events happen in the natural that maybe they have prophetic significance, maybe they're illustrative, and that's not to say that God causes all of this. Um, he's, He's not like that. But sometimes if you're willing to... um As Moses did with the burning bush, Moses is walking along, there is a bush burning on the side of the road, but the bush is not being consumed. Bible says he turned aside. In other words, he stopped along the way. He was walking along his way. He stopped, he turned, and he had a look and went, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. And I felt like in this process, the need to stop and turn aside and go, hmm, what's going on there? Because there is an internal reconstruction happening in our physical house that I feel like there are some themes and things that are happening that are mirroring the internal reconstruction that's happening in us as a spiritual house. And in Scripture, a house, that the church is called the household of God or the house of God. In fact, the first mention uh, of 
the household of God or the house of God is way back in the book of Genesis when um, Jacob has the encounter at Bethel. I was going Jacob, I was going Israel. So it, was, it was in there. You know when you have those drop-down menus on your computer, but then there's nothing there? That's like what it was like. It's like the menu, I can see it, there's nothing there. Um, Jacob has this encounter with God at this place called Bethel, and he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then Paul picks up the theme of the household of God, particularly in the book of Ephesians, but not only there. And so because things have been happening to our house, I've been looking at that and going, okay, God, what are you saying about our house? And there's a few things that are standing out, and that's what I want to unpack a bit. And so I'm, I'm not kind of exegeting Scripture as much as I am kind of unraveling what feels like a series of prophetic events that are speaking to us a lot. And there's a whole lot more than what I've got here and what I've got time to do right now um, because we've been going after that python spirit, and the python spirit is a water spirit, and water flowing through our house and wanting to do damage just doesn't seem incoincidental, uncoincidental, I don't know what that word is. doesn't seem like it, there's stuff happening there, but there's a promise attached to that too, which I'm going to come to at the end. But let me back up about uh, 18 months to two years. When did the hailstorm happen? That was about, about two years ago. You may remember there was a massive hailstorm that went through this area. And... Deb's parents' house got completely trashed in the course of that because the big, like, cricket ball and bigger size hailstones smashed through the roof and then all the water came through the house and pretty much every piece of gyprock was stripped out. They lived with us for four months or so, which was their joy. It was wonderful for them. It was okay for us too. But, um, and so they had a whole internal reconstruction done. At the same time as that happened, the hail hit our roof. And a lot of you have been to our house. We've got a... Um, Colourbond, that's the word I'm looking for, Colourbond roof. And thankfully, no water came through, but there was this you know, continual thud that happened that put dents in the roof, which meant the whole thing had to be replaced. The insurance company actually did an awesome job on that one. That was, that, that was good. There were not as many prophetic events coming out of that one, seemingly. But this is, as I was reflecting on this, one of the things that hit me, it wasn't hit me like a hailstone, uh, that, that struck me, was when it came to the, the reconstruction of our house, the first thing that had to be repaired was the covering. In other words, there'd been damage done to the covering. Now, covering scripturally, symbolically speaks of leadership. And as I was brewing this over, and one of the other thing I meant to say by way of backing up a little is we are all as a house, and we have been for many, many years, but we're, we're getting more and more intentional about it, is on this journey of really letting God restore the foundations of our own hearts and do a really deep work on the inside so that every foundation of our heart is His foundation. Um, it sets us up for freedom. It sets us up for a whole lot more happiness and joy and um, overflow of His goodness into the world around us when our core is solid, is healed, and whole. And a number of you are going through Elijah House Module 1 over the next couple of months in August and September, which is awesome. All of the core team have done that. A whole lot of you are at the Journey of the Heart. So we've been, had quite a focus in the realm of healing our, doing some internal reconstruction. And in the middle of all of that, this thing happens. Like I said, one of the first things that had to be 
restored was the covering. Now, if I pull my in-laws story in for a moment, there's no point in doing the internal reconstruction if you haven't fixed the covering. Otherwise, all that stuff is going to get damaged again. Covering, the, the damage to the covering, what I felt like God was saying is there's a whole lot of us that have been damaged in the area of our covering. In other words, we've been damaged by leadership in our life. It may be church leadership. It may be you know, in a workplace. It may be in the family. It may be parental wounding. But there's a whole lot of us that have been damaged in the area of our covering. Biblically, the role of covering or leadership is essentially three things. It's to bless, it's to empower, and it's to protect. That, that's what covering is meant to do. It's meant to provide a place of blessing, a place of empowering, and a place of protection. When leadership in your life has used its position to do something other than to bless, to curse you, to speak shame words over you, to, um, to treat you as less than what you're worth, then, then damage comes to that part of our heart that responds to covering. And I feel like this is one of the places that the Father really wants to restore. He wants to restore our ability to engage with and come to a safety in covering. Because then when he restores the rest, it's all protected. So when leaders have spoken words of cursing, in other words, limiting words, putting down words, when they haven't spoken to you according to your true value and worth. Now, I want to be clear because there's some, whenever we have wounding in this area, there's usually always something that we need to own as well. And I, I've had my fair share of this um, over my lifetime. And I've had to do my fair share of ownership in the process in order to get healed through that. And when we're t what we're not talking about here is when a leader has brought a genuine word of correction and our own insecurity or immaturity couldn't handle it and we got offended. That's our part. That's our responsibility. That's the stuff that we need to own and take on board. Um, because scripture is really clear about fathers discipline those they love. The, the discipline and correction is actually an act of love and fathers that withhold discipline and correction are actually treating their children like they're illegitimate. The writer of Hebrews says that. So I'm not talking about the times when leaders have spoken genuine correction and we've got offended because of our own insecurity or immaturity. I'm talking about times where they've used their authority, their position, and either out of their insecurity have spoken words or for whatever reason have spoken words over us that have limited us, that have put us down, that have put us in our box, put us in our place. That's not okay. That stuff is not okay. And I feel like that's one of the things that God wants to touch. That's the blessed part. The empower part. So leaders are meant to bring life and power so that you can be more than you could be without their influence in your life. That's the idea. It's meant to lift you up. This idea of leadership that it's all about me and it's all about you serve me is actually not a biblical model of leadership. There is submission, yes, but what, is what are you submitting to is important. So in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, famous um, marriage chapter where it says, for the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. That word head in the Greek is the word kephali. And... It's more akin to the head of a river than the head of a government in terms of the meaning of that word. 
So a head of a government, they're in charge. They set the rules, what they say goes. The head of a river is a little bit different. The head of a river is everything that flows into that system flows through the head. And if you look in Ephesians 5, in the same chapter that says, wives, submit to your husband, it says, love your husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what is the wife meant to be submitting to? Not the husband's orders, but the husband's love. In other words, the head is meant to be the source of love and empowerment for that whole environment. And so the, the submission is not this um, subjugating place of lesser value or lesser authority. It's, it's submitting to the flow of a river. It's submitting to a flow of love and empowerment that makes you more than you could be without it. That's the idea. If you look at um, 2 Corinthians, I've forgotten the exact address right now. It's not there. Where it says, the head of every woman is man, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. So there's this kind of flow through in terms of headship. I looked at that and I went, okay, well, if the head of Christ is God, and that's that same word head, kafali, how did God the Father express his headship over Jesus? Well, according to Philippians 2, he gave Jesus the name that was above every name and said, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. How did Christ express his headship over man, he gave up his life. For God so loved that he gave. Jesus gave up his life and then he sent the Holy Spirit to empower. Whenever headship has been used to to control you, to limit you, rather than to empower and to lift you up, it's a faulty, dysfunctional version of leadership and starts to head toward abusive. Now, sometimes abusive behaviour is um, malicious, but sometimes it's just naive. Sometimes people didn't know any better. So just because I know I'm using some heavy sets of words there, and that is because I want you to know that if you, were, if you have experienced that kind of thing, it's not okay. But I also want us to take on some understanding, and that is not every person who has done something bad to us is a bad person. Sometimes it's just naive. Sometimes they were immature. Sometimes they were wounded themselves, and wounded people wound people. But if we've been wounded by that, this is part of what, what the Father wants to touch. Protection. So I said bless, empower, and protect. By protection, what we mean is to provide a place of safety. To provide a place of safety where your vulnerability is covered. Now, the moment shame gets introduced to the relationship, that is leaving someone uncovered. The moment shame words or shame actions enter into an authority relationship, it becomes toxic and it becomes dysfunctional. Isaiah chapter 9, talking about Jesus, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
What, what characterizes the government of Jesus is this place of peace, in other words, and especially in that context, this place of safety. And coming under the government of Jesus or the increase of that safety, there will be no end. That is the nature of his government. And when we've experienced covering, when we've experienced leadership, when we've experienced parenting, that is in any way out of sync with those concepts, it wounds us. And often leads us to believe things about ourselves that are not true. To believe things about life that are not true. To believe things about people and the way the world works that are not true. Now, as I said before, I have a responsibility in this. When I've been on the receiving end of this, some of my responsibility, and this is some of the things I had to learn to do to get free of some of my own yucky experiences. Um, and that is, I had to own my part. If any of you have done Elijah House Module 1, or possibly, I don't remember if we talked about it in Journey of the Heart Weekend, one of the things that they say really beautifully is, we can, out of our own dysfunction, tempt others to sin against us. Okay, so if I carry a rejection wound, and especially if a spirit of rejection gets on that, one of the things that a spirit of rejection does is it causes me to act in ways that it makes it likely that I'm going to be rejected. And then we get rejected, and it just becomes this self-reinforcing process. And so if I've been operating out of a rejection wound, I actually tempt others to reject me. And then when they do, I blame them. Now, they have some responsibility too. We all have a responsibility to grow up in love and to, and to walk through that. But this is part of owning my own responsibility. And I need to acknowledge that usually when I have a negative experience of some kind... My heart decides certain things in that place. My heart comes to believe certain things in that place. If my heart comes to believe in that place, authority can't be trusted. If, actually, let me stick on that one for a sec. If my heart comes to believe that authority can't be trusted, then I'll always put up a distance between me and authority and I'll actually... It's deeply understandable, given what some of us have been through. I've done this, okay, this is kind of how I know. Um, but what it cuts us off from is the blessing and the empowering and the protection where, when healthy leadership comes along. If I develop a belief that there's something wrong with me, that, and we start living out of that, that's going to take us in some really ugly places and is, again, going to probably tempt others to sin against us as well. And then we make decisions. Our heart decides stuff in order to both bring down the pain level in that moment and to stop that pain from happening again. And these are the I will nevers and the I will always. Didn't say that well. I will never let anyone that close to me again. I will never give of myself like that again. I, I will never put myself out there like that again. I'll never sacrifice like that again because it's, I did it and it didn't work out so well for me. That's the I will nevers. I will always, I will always keep control of this part of my life. 
I'll always hang around these kinds of people and not these kinds. There's all, I mean, for every human, there's at least 100 or 200 that each of us individually could come up with um, because of our individual circumstances. But then there are judgments that we make, especially about the people that hurt us. They're uncaring. They're incompetent. They're, oh, I could insert all sorts of words there. <laughs> Being in Australia, we have a, a very creative vocabulary around some of those things. But we make judgments, and the only problem with judgments is that when we judge someone else, that judgment ends up coming back on us. And in spirit, it creates this, this faith dynamic where that which we judge another for, we become guilty of ourselves. Yet judge not lest you be judged. For the same measure you use, it will be used on you. That, that, that's one of the big problems with judgments. And judgments doesn't actually really do anything to the other person, but it does hold us in prison. Yeah. <laughs> so my responsibility, A, is to own my part. How did I contribute to the problem? And even if it's only 5%, only that 5% will make you a lot freer than you were before. Probably guessing it may have been a little more. I mean, I'm just talking for myself here, but hey. <laughs> I need to acknowledge my part, but then I need to stop, remember that event, and ask my heart, what did you come to believe to be true as a result of that event? Even right now, let's just pause for a second. And for those of you who have had wounding in this realm, like the stuff that I've talked about, I want you to just stop for a moment and really engage with your heart and just listen. And if you're not used to doing this, there's a fair chance it might just go pop. And it's like, oh, didn't even know that before, but all of a sudden this thing pops up. What did my heart come to believe as a result of that event or that series of events or that relationship? What did my heart come to believe? How many of you got some kind of answer there? Yeah? Yeah, a few of you. If any of you, did the answer surprise you? Or, yeah, some did, some it's like, yeah, no, I knew I kind of I knew that. And some of you have done... Ah, okay, gotcha. Beautiful. Okay. Now let's stick with this for a second. And for some of you, you know, this will start coming quickly. And for others of you, you need to take these questions away and get into a quieter place where you're not with a whole group of other people in a public place and ask the question. So the first question was, what did my heart come to believe as a result of that event? The second one was, what did my heart decide as a result of that event? In other words, what did my heart decide? In order to protect myself from that pain or to cope with that pain, what did my heart decide? Just stop and ask that question now.
Okay, and again, take note both of the answer that came if something came for you, but also take note of the question because these are really, really critical questions to get untangled from the wounding of that covering. As we were asking those questions, I was hearing pretty loud in the spirit and I'm no, in terms of what did my heart come to believe, I'm no good. For some, I don't know if it's for one person you've got it really strong or there's a number of people in the room. There was a really, there was a really strong, I'm no good. Let us break that lie off you right now in the name of Jesus. We just release you from that. And for some of you, if, this, if some of this stuff happened at a really young age, it's, it's so understandable that we come to those beliefs because, of course, we believe older people. You know, sometimes it can be older brothers, older, older siblings, um, as well as parents, teachers, all of those different authority figures. It's like, well, we had, I had no other information to go on, so it's understandable that you came to that. What's important once you understand those? So the, the, what did my heart come to believe is, is what we call a judgment. And when those judgments remain unchallenged, they act in faith to draw to us more of that same thing. Yeah. And then we go, see, I told you. Happened again. Must be true. And then the vows are essentially at the heart of the... the the dysfunctional strategies that keep us in that place of wounding. And they, they, they attempt to protect us, but ultimately they actually keep us on the inside of a prison, not on the outside. There's another one that I was hearing too, and it's along the same lines. I was hearing the words, I'm no good, but I was hearing, well, obviously I'm not worth spending time with then, or I'm not worth investing in then. It was something along those lines. And we just want to break that off you right now. Because you so are. Okay. Obviously, we're not going to fix every single little bit and every single entanglement right now. But I felt like God wanted to do something about the covering first. And where you've experienced something from leadership, from covering in your life, that is something other than blessing, empowering, and protecting, he wants to heal you because it will put a lid on your life. It will limit you because we believe lies and then act out of them. So if you've got answers, like I said, if you've got answers to some of those questions as we're doing that, note the answers and then keep going with that. And one of the key things to do when you see that belief, sit with that belief in the presence of Jesus and go, do I really believe that? Jesus, what do you think about that? Jesus, what's your truth? And we don't just renounce a lie. We want to actually replace it or displace it with a truth. And when you hear it from Jesus, it's way more powerful. Okay. That's the covering part. And then for us, the covering part was done. They actually did a really good job of that. But the covering was this dull, continual thud that damaged and weakened the protection such that over time a whole lot of water would have come into the house or a whole lot of, lot of stuff. 
But then once that was done, then for us, then the internal reconstruction happens. Then the internal reconstruction begins. Now for our place, as part of doing the internal reconstruction, they had to rip out our kitchen. Now it was interesting to me that where the damage occurred was right in the heart of the house. Right in the middle. If you've been to a house, like that is the central place of our house. Everything in the house functions around that space. And that's where it happened. And it was right in the middle of the middle <laughs> as well. Now, the actual kitchen, the, the kitchen benches and all of that themselves weren't damaged, but they still had to be deconstructed in order for the restoration work to happen. And for us, we were like, this is really annoying. We really like our kitchen. In fact, we love our kitchen. It's awesome. We love it. We, we helped design it and we you know, did that whole thing. We, we loved our kitchen. It was like, I don't need a new one. I don't need another one. It's doing just fine. But they had to dismantle the thing, pull it apart and put it outside and in all different places so that they could do the other stuff, so they could do the work to the stuff that is damaged. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Jesus, when he talked about the vine and the branches, said, every branch in me that bears fruit, I prune. It's like, hang on a sec, this is bearing fruit. No, let it, let it do its thing. No, go on. <laughs> in other words, sometimes in the process of God healing us and reconstructing us on the inside, he has to dismantle stuff that is actually working and good and bearing fruit in order to get to the stuff that he really needs to do. And this is a process in scripture it calls pruning. And it's not fun. No. <laughs> yeah, you did say that out loud. <laughs> it's not fun, but what the result of it, Jesus says, is so that it can become more and more fruitful. There's a whole lot more in that passage that I, I seriously don't have time for it right now. But for some of you, in the process of this internal reconstruction, you're going to feel like God is dismantling a whole lot of really good stuff. It's like, what? Why are you doing that? What's going on? And he's going, in order to fix the ear, I need to get underneath that. And I can't rip that out without pruning that. So let's just do this. <laughs> because then when he restores the stuff underneath it, they actually did a really good job of building it back again. Except, in this case, what they did with the floor sucked it wasn't wasn't and I'm sure as I dig into and I can think of some already but um, there are a number of things that they didn't particularly do right there now here's the thing so that that was the pruning bit and sometimes we feel like an area in our life was bearing is bearing fruit and is going well and all of a sudden it's like the fruit dries up or something happens and it starts like what are you doing God it's like I'm just pruning it's okay I need to do this to get to the stuff underneath that's damaged that actually needs to be reconstructed. Now, there's two parts to this one. One is the work they did on the floor didn't fully work. They didn't do it quite right. But then there's some other areas that we're still arguing with the insurance company over. In both of those areas, the danger for us would be to just go, you know what, we can live with it. It's not that bad. First world problem. And I feel like 
the connection there is in our healing journey, there are so many places where we could go, you know what, I can just live with that. I can, yeah, look, life's not that bad. I'm okay. I can live with that. Maybe it's just the way I am. Maybe this will never change. I don't understand. Well, let me tell you again. If you're listening on the recording, Siri just piped in on my watch and said, I don't understand. Let's call that divine interruption. Does anyone not understand what I'm talking about? Bad watch. Beautiful watch, though. It's an Apple watch. Okay. (laughs) What are the things I... And so for us, there has been this to and fro where we've kind of said, oh, should we just let it go? Or should we this or that? And then something in our spirit goes, no, our policy says this is what we're entitled to. And I feel like this is, the key, this is one of the key parts. I feel like the, the restoring around covering and the healing around covering is really critical. This is the other part I feel is really important. There are things that the policy, the Word of God says you can have. And it's so easy for us to go, you know what? Maybe that's not for me. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. Maybe I can live without it. No. Policy says you can have it, fight for it. Yes. You know, when some stuff that you're trying to do to get healed doesn't work, in other words, they stuff up your floor, yes. don't just go, oh, well, I had a go. Maybe I have to live with it. No, you don't. The policy says certain things about what this is meant to look like when the internal reconstruction is done, and that's not it. And for some of you, I feel like you might have given up your fight in certain areas of your life and just settled for stuff that is less than what God, God says you can have, and that is what we want to hit. No settling. No settling. No settling for any less than what God says you can have. John Eldridge, he's a, a really cool author. Um, he, he wrote a book for men called Wild at Heart, and he's written a whole lot of other stuff. And one of my friends was at a, a conference where he was speaking live, and he did this Q&A session. And so he's talking a lot about healing of the heart, and especially for guys. And someone asked him the question, how much healing is possible you know, this side of eternity? And his answer to me was just profound. He just said, more than you know. What did the cross accomplish? Was the cross powerful for everyone else except you? Was the cross powerful for every single thing in your life except that spot there? Uh Uh-uh. And I feel like um, this powerlessness, this, this unholy surrendered to something less than what the contract says we can have is what we need to put to death because this says there is a whole lot that we can have this says that you are meant to go from glory to glory which actually means you start glorious you don't just end there you start glorious and you get more and more glorious this says behold i make all things new yeah you get new for old on this policy (laughs) took a little longer for some (laughs) 
It's woe new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like... The redemption of God is so good that it almost makes it look like he authored this thing happening so that he could do this. He didn't because he's good. He doesn't do evil so that good may result. We see that really clearly in Scripture. He doesn't do that. That's not him. But he is so good that in all things, Romans 8 tells us, that in all things he is working for our good. He may not have authored the things, but in all things he is working for our good. He is working for our restoration. And let me finish with this. The day that our house flooded, obviously we come out and Deb comes out first thing in the morning and I'm still half unconscious. And um, she's like, oh, no. And like, I can't remember all the words you said. You didn't say, babe, babe. And I'm like, what, what? Said, babe, babe, what, what? <laughs> yeah, because we're one end of the house to the other. And I don't know if you still had your earplugs in or what, but... <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't get the tap off and I'm like what's going on and and so and then when Deb came in with the flippers and snorkel on I thought this is just really not good that, that was a joke by the way so that happened and of course yeah it goes through the floorboards through underneath the house you, you slept through the whole thing <laughs> um, I think yeah well of course <laughs> yeah. smart very smart yeah, he thought mum had just seen a spider, yeah. Hey, that's valid. <laughs> that, that, is, that is valid, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it had gone through all under the house, like through the floor under the house, so everything under the house that we store under there is all wet, and it's just so cool. <laughs> and then, and so anyway, we managed to clean all of that up um, to at least a point where we could go, okay, let's get ready for church, because <laughs> it was a Sunday, right? <laughs> and... Um, when I came home from church, this was February, it was still daylight savings. So when I came home from church, it was still light outside. And as I come home, I'm driving down the road, I pull up to our house and I look over and there is water flowing from next door up the hill through the retaining wall all the way down kind of like, and lots of it, like all through the front yard. And I'm like, hmm, that's twice. That one was a little bit more simple. The next door had been washing the car and, you know, those trigger things. Hadn't turned it off at the tap, just left the trigger off and the trigger went pop and they were inside the house and it just was... Nothing got damaged, thankfully, for that. But I thought, okay, that's twice in one day that there has been obscene amounts of water flowing in places that shouldn't be. If this was a dream, what would it mean? And then it was only about a week or so after that... um, I had the sprinkler on out in the backyard, you know, between the wall and the pool... And I put it in a different spot to where I normally put it. And I was under the house looking for something for Daniel. I don't know what it was. It was some, I don't know, it was a Toy Story thing or some, something that we had stored deep under the house, hoping he'd forget that he had it. Um, no. Anyway, we went, I went under there. And then as I'm under the house, Daniel says, hey, Dad, is there meant to be water coming in the window? I'm like, run that by me again. <laughs> is there meant to be water coming in the window? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, there he is. Right. Now, I've had the sprinkler on out there on the grass many, many times. It has never made its way in the window. And this is uh, like only a week or so later. I'm like, okay, that's three times. Now, whenever uh, I've heard Bill Johnson say, whenever something happens three times, it's a now word. I'm like, okay, God, you've got my attention. Had no idea what it meant, but three water events. 
we went away some weeks later with all of our crew from the Heart Revolutions, you know, with Phil and Maria Mason and Chris and Grant McRae, Brad and Lisa Joss, Gary and Deb Grant, who you haven't met yet. So all of our kind of crew from across the nation, we were getting together to do Heart Journey and talk about how we impact the nation with the Heart stuff. And we all talked about, okay, how you doing? What's happening? And I'm like, okay. I got this thing going, and I explained the sequence of events, and I'm like, there has got to be something. There's no way that three water events like that can happen in that short space of time and then not be something to do with it. Now, there's a few bits to this that I won't go into, but let me simply say this. And it was, like, so profoundly obvious that um, when Chris McRae it was who pastors Overflow Church up at Madawi. She's actually coming to speak here in August. She's an absolute amazing gem of a woman. She Overflow Church. Yeah, she actually is funny. She comes from Overflow Church. I didn't see that. There is stuff everywhere here. So she, her mouth overflowed, and she quoted from Isaiah 59, which is, what she quoted was, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against that. Now, the context around that verse says, from the west, people will fear the name of the Lord and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. In other words, from the east to the west. Um, For when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against it. And every time from that moment that I've seen or thought of flowing water, it's reminded me that no matter what the enemy does, the Lord has raised up a standard against that. And I feel like this is a promise for us. When the enemy has come into you like a flood, when he's damaged you in the area of your covering, when he has stolen from you, where he has empowered events that have wounded you, have debilitated you, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against that. A number of years back, I was working through a whole lot of heart stuff. I was feeling particularly bleh. That's, that's a biblical concept, groaning that cannot be uttered. And I remember just going, God, what are you doing? Like, it's a bit of the, yeah, where are you, God? From that thing Michelle was saying a little earlier. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Because I was feeling lousy. And he said to me, I'm warring against your pain. And that just in that moment completely changed my perspective on what was happening. Yes, I was feeling like crap. But God was warring against that on my behalf. This is the promise that's over us. Let's stand. I want to pray for us. That that area of covering can be a really sensitive one. There's a whole lot of stuff involved. And this is a journey. I'm not kind of expecting to wave the magic wand, though I always believe for God to break through in moments of corporate, when we're together corporately, but I'm also saying this is a journey. Often you weren't wounded in a moment, so being healed in a moment sells you short in some ways because he wants to heal you deep. But I want to declare over you that where the enemy has come in and messed with the internals, of your life, has messed up your heart. God is raising up a standard against that. He is warring against that. And he is releasing rivers of living water in the best possible way. He is releasing his healing. We're on a journey together of internal reconstruction. And we want to provide for you a safe place so that the internal work is protected and can stand.
all of us need to cooperate with what God is doing and let him do the pruning. Let him touch those areas of disappointment and disbelief and powerlessness where we've just settled. And he wants to light that fire in you afresh. So Father, I want to pray over every single one of us. I want to declare that where the enemy had come in like a flood, where the enemy unleashed his worst on us, where, where we were damaged, where we were wounded, where we were hurt. And for some of you, it was by stuff people did. And for others of you, it was by stuff people should have done, but they didn't do. It was a sin of omission. It was a void. We release your healing power. Lord, we give you permission to surface the judgments, the beliefs that, we, that our heart came to at that moment. We give you permission to surface the vows, the things that we decided to try and make the pain go away or not ever come again. We give you permission to dismantle our kitchen, even though we like it, so that you can heal what's underneath. And make what's underneath a showpiece of your glory. God, you spoke over us in Isaiah 61 that we are a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And God, for us as a house, I want to declare over us that we will not stop short. We will not settle for anything less than you making us a planting of you for the display of your splendor. That people will look at what you've done in our lives. And this is not a, a proud or arrogant thing at all. It's just they will see the restoration. They will see the healing. They will see the wholeness. They will see the love that we have for each other because we're able to connect with healed and whole hearts and go, what is that? I need that. I want that. And I declare over you, because some of you came to beliefs about what God is like and where God was or wasn't during some of those events. And I want to declare over you that he is for you. He is absolutely for you. He is absolutely for you. He gave his life for you. And God, we ask and we declare now that every, every bit of trauma from those events would be drawn like a magnet to the cross. God, every cone of shame that's been put on our heads, we lift off. I lift that off you in the name of Jesus and say, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Isaiah 61 says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. God, where there has been this, this sense of reproach and not good enough, just roll that off us. Draw that to the cross and replace it with your peace, your safety and your power. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did. And we submit to that flow of love and life and power. We let go of passivity and settling for less than what your word says we can have. And God, I release a fire in every single one of us that says, I will keep pursuing. It's like Jacob when he wrestled with the angel, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Even if you break my, you dislocate my hip, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. It's like, I'm not, 
not letting go of the journey until I've got what the contract, what the word says I can have. Let that be the testimony of us as a house in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.